Hi, I'm Coach Laura. This is Oppositional by Nature, and this will be part two of our series on small revolutionary goals. Today, specifically, will be seven practices for following the life force. Assuming you read last week's essay and began incorporating practices for grounding, you will have laid some groundwork for this next grouping of small revolutionary goals. Here, we'll attend to how and where we experience vitality, how to build our capacity to be with that experience so that it can grow, and how we can use it to guide us towards making our dreams real in the world. We started with attempting to name and visualize a big dream or desire in order to create a connection to what we're moving towards. But it's not the exact vision that we're going to usher into reality. It's the connection itself. It's the way in which our boldest, brightest, most open-hearted dreams connect us to what is most alive in us. The feeling is what matters because life force is inherently migrant. The vision that you started with, although important for many reasons, is likely to shift and change along the path. So our imperative is to integrate practices for reconnecting to the feeling of vitality which is itself the bridge between the imaginal realm and the temporal realm. The quality of energy that you're building with will be the quality of what you create. We can't build our bright, bold new world with overwhelm, obligation, or resentment. It's okay that we have these feelings, but we have to be willing to let them move rather than maintain an attachment to them by justifying their existence. Generally speaking, I don't think many of our lives are set up to provide the spaciousness for experiencing flow. There are just so many damn things to be responsible about, to keep track of, and to not let slip through the cracks. A couple years ago, I went to a psychic who said that she saw a vision of me as a small child standing on the sidelines of a playground dressed in business casual attire and holding a briefcase. Although it was a funny image, I could feel what she was tapping into. As early as kindergarten, I got myself dressed and ready for school before my parents even got out of bed. I've always had a strong impulse to take responsibility for my life, but I had unwittingly directed a lot of energy towards the responsibility part and not enough to the life part. The essential component of these practices is about simply directing attention and awareness to the life part. That in itself will be revolutionary. Audre Lorde reminds us, when we begin to live from within outward, in touch with the erotic within ourselves, and allowing that power to inform and illuminate our actions around us, then we begin to be responsible to ourselves in the deepest sense. For as we begin to recognize our deepest feelings, we begin to give up of necessity, being satisfied with suffering and self-negation and with the numbness which so often seems like their only alternative in our society. So here are two practices to start with in order to give you a door into engaging with these practices. As of now, what are the sources of vitality and the erotic in my life? And the second one is, as of now, how do I recognize the feeling of life force? 
What are the emotional expressions? Does it show up as pleasure, joy, whimsy, anger, sexuality? How does it feel in my body? Is there a temperature? Could it be expressed in movement or music? You may experience an inclination to delineate an impulse like anger or sexuality, for example, as wrong or bad. More than in any other category of small revolutionary goals, here it will be crucial to set aside any inclination to label a feeling through a moral lens because that may lead to a barrier as you're trying to follow the flow of vitality. Okay, so here they are, seven practices for following the life force. Number one, simply prioritize this feeling in your daily life. Since you now have this list of sources of vitality, pick one of those things and schedule time for it. It really doesn't have to be more complicated than that. After I saw the psychic, I knew that it was important for me to pull myself out of my low energy pattern, so I started scheduling a 10-minute joy session onto my calendar every day. At first, the only source I could come up with to reliably pull me out of my funk was dancing. I later added swinging on a swing set down the street, but for the first couple weeks when my joy alarm went off in the middle of the day, I begrudgingly went down into my basement, turned up some Rihanna, and let my subpar yet enthusiastic dance moves lift me into a new state. Number two, let yourself be romanced by nature. Hone your capacity to swoon over sunsets. Be enamored with weather patterns. Embrace endless curiosity about each individual bird's song. Feel into the mystery of every living thing around you and resist the urge to explain the other as if it were something you could ever truly know. There's a reason we call it falling in love. We're letting go of the false safety of the easily explained and the counterfeitly captured. Number three, prioritize beauty. This one is mostly an expansion of the previous practice, but here we're making a space for beauty that can be found outside of nature as well. Notice and appreciate at least one beautiful thing every day. Notice where there could be room to make a decision based on aesthetic intrigue rather than the tipping point of your pros and cons list. Number four, engage with a new creative practice. Challenge yourself to keep it as small and as simple as possible. Maybe you experiment with one new ingredient each time you cook dinner or choose a new ingredient to incorporate in different ways for a week. Create a mood by engaging with specific sounds, colors, textures, and smells that evoke that mood for you. Create a new connection every day, either between you and another person, between one friend and another friend, or between you and the squirrel who frequents your backyard. The key aspect of any creative practice is to eliminate judgment and sideline any inner critic. A creative practice can be anything that is free of your previously held guidelines and restraints. Rule breaking is encouraged. Number five, write love letters. Not necessarily to send, but to be indulgently expressive. The key is to describe rather than explain what you love about someone or something in particular. 
Don't stop once you've written to all of your obvious loves. Write to people or objects that you have a relationship of indifference with and watch how affectionate description changes your energy. Here are some ideas of who or what to write to. Your mailbox, high fives, Ted Lasso, Sunday mornings, churros, the park down the street, whoever decided that parks should be a thing, palm trees, the barista who always remembers your coffee order, your favorite window. Number six, forced laughter. This is a good one because it doesn't require any preparation or forethought. If you can't be bothered to list out your sources of vitality and don't feel like you have the energy to get creative, this is probably a good one for you. Laugh out loud every day. The key to this one is not needing someone else to make you laugh. Initiate your own laughter, either by thinking of something funny or just laughing out loud for no reason, like a crazy person. In fact, do it right now just to see what it feels like. Take note of the effect that laughter has on your mood and energetic state. Number seven, breathwork. It could be said that breath is life energy itself. The Sanskrit word prana can be translated as breath, primary energy, or vital force. So breathwork might be the most direct link to engaging with the erotic flow of life. These days, you can find infinite resources for learning more about breathwork and many different patterns of breathwork techniques, but there are two simple rules that I find useful. The first is for increasing energy. You want to lengthen your inhales and shorten your exhales. And the second is the opposite. For grounding and calming, you want to lengthen your exhales and shorten your inhales. Box breathing, which is where you inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, and hold for four, has recently become popular with the knowledge that Navy SEALs use it for a balanced state of focus before entering any high-pressure situation. If it works for the kind of intensity that Navy SEALs deal with, it will probably work for you too. In terms of small revolutionary goals, try 10 breath cycles for increasing energy. Be sure to breathe through your diaphragm rather than solely your chest and upper part of your torso. You'll know you're using your diaphragm if you feel your belly expanding on the inhales. Okay, that is it. You can take any of these ideas or come up with your own. Before I go, though, I wanted to remind you to maintain your practices for grounding along with these new ones. I know, I know, it sounds like a big time commitment. But you know how sometimes it can seem like you don't have time to do a fun or lighthearted thing because you have so many responsible things to do, but then you do the fun thing anyway and you realize that it actually gives you more time because it increases your energy? That's how this works too. Flow researchers from Mihai Chingsat Mihai to Stephen Kotler have asserted that within flow states, we experience time dilation or the quality of time passing strangely. It might not seem logical that adding more to your day will increase your time, but give it a try. The research on flow states also indicates a big uptick in productivity, so you don't have to worry about getting all those responsible things done too. But as we'll discuss next week, productivity might not be the most helpful end goal. I'll meet you back here next week for part three of Small Revolutionary Goals. 
and exploration of practices for non-productivity.